Welcome to Heavy Networking. Today we have a sponsored show with Glueware, and the topic is network automation. This is a very practical show. We're going to talk with Terracon. Terracon is a Glueware customer, and Jamie Hughes is an infrastructure architect there who's going to walk us through a number of the things that they've been using Glueware for, uh, that automation tool to improve what's going on in their network. Also joining us will be Mike, the VP of Product Marketing, and he knows this product inside and out, what it can do, what customers are using it for. So if you're looking at network automation, improving network automation. This is a show for you. Uh, I'm Ethan Banks, and of course, Greg Farrow is here. Greg, what stuck out to you about this show? I think how much uh, Jamie has used this for automating his existing network. He didn't have to go and forklift anything out. He was able to take the glueware, put it into his network, make it work, and now he's moving to SD-WAN. Now he's making major changes to his network without actually giving away the brownfield. So he can go and do the new stuff, and yet he's using glueware to do the old stuff, like the old network. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I agree with you. He did all of those things. That's how I uh, interpreted what he was saying, too. And, of course, I got to nerd out a little bit because he rolled out QoS policies globally, which, which made me <laughs> yeah. happy. You know the way I am, Greg. You know the way I am. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I mean, the, the point is most IT vendors want to sell you a bunch of new hardware and say the way that you get to our SDN is throw out everything that you've got, start again, and then put out our shiny SDN on top of it and then it'll work. And we all know that lots of companies don't work that way. They want to, you, you start by automating and orchestrating what you have. And that's the thing about Glueware that I really like. And then, but um, Jamie was also talking about how we went from, you know, doing what we do now better to doing new stuff with it, which I thought was the, the, the best part of the story. So for those of you that are listening, please enjoy this sponsored conversation with uh, Glueware, and we pick up the conversation with Mike. Mike, nice to chat with you again. It's been, well, I was thinking it was a year since we did Intent 19 in New York City, but you were telling me it was actually last fall, so I guess I, guess I get my dates aren't very good, but the, the world is upside down. We were talking about maybe doing another Intent event in 2020, and then everything blew up, pandemic, and all of that wonderful stuff. So how how is Glueware needed to react to the pandemic? Have you had to do anything for customers, had to think that way, or tell us how it's changed your world? Yeah, Ethan. I mean, it's definitely unprecedented times, and it's been it's been um, you know a challenge for everyone, certainly. And I think you know, Glueware is we're in an interesting spot because providing network automation capabilities is actually in demand at this moment. So we've actually been as busy as ever. I think that the main difference for me personally is not jumping on an airplane probably every other week at least. So that's uh, in a way been a welcome change. I'm sure a lot of the road warriors out there uh, don't mind a little bit of a break from that, but. You know, with Glueware, we are deploying an automation into global networks of pharmaceuticals and banks and, and other, you know, critical businesses that are essential and have to keep the lights on and have to keep business continuity. So I think from that standpoint, we've actually been as busy as ever. We've grown hiring sales and, and service delivery. And um, even today, we're, you know, excited to bring uh, Jamie Hughes from Terracon, one of our customers on the show today to kind of share the experience about how can you automate or how can automate automation help you in your business continuity as you're entering challenging times and having unique business challenges, you know, present themselves. 
Oh, yes. Okay. So, Jamie, uh, hi. We know you a little bit because you were at that New York City event that we did in Tent 19 and uh, and chatted a bit with us. But uh, for folks that don't know you, maybe they haven't watched any of that content, which is all up on our YouTube channel, by the way, if you look for Glueware and Tent 19 at Packet Pushers Network channel on uh, YouTube, you can find all of that. Jamie, uh, tell us who Terracon is. Sure. Uh, thanks, Ethan. Uh, Terracon's an engineering firm. We have about 5,000 employees uh, servicing the United States. We do do some projects globally. Um, all our physical locations are located in the continental United States, though. Um, we do a lot of engineering work, a lot of testing for projects. If you're going to go build a building, we'll you know test the soil or do environmental studies for you, pieces like that. Civil um, engineering. Big toys. Yep. Big Make toys. things go bang, stand things up, and hope they don't fall down. Is that the sort of idea? That's the sort of ideal. That's one of the big things. Like I said, we'll go drill and test for soil and tell the architects, you know, here's the type of materials you need to use in your foundation. Mm -hmm. um, when you're building the building, like I said, selecting materials for it, help with those kind of uh, issues people face. Uh, if you have pollution, they'll do that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, There's actually maths in that. I actually studied oh, yeah. civil engineering for a few months uh, when I was younger. And they actually do an awful lot of maths to make that happen, which is weird. So it's a serious business. It is a serious business. So some of the, the challenges in that regard is we have uh, roughly about 175 sites that have connectivity that we need to you know, make sure the employees can reach each other, reach our data centers, reach online resources. And then thrown on top of that, now we, they've got a lot of work from home. Before, we had a lot of remote workers you know, kind of added, added to that volume. So is this an environment that changes a lot, your network environment? It sounds like you're reaching out to a lot of different places. Um, but is that, a, I guess, what drove automation for you? Really, some of the things I was looking for is having all those sites and uh, most of our technical staff is centrally located. So the automation piece is to help keep all the config consistent between sites. You know, user experience is good. The other piece, we usually buy about three to five companies. So those acquisitions, they're, they, they're a lot. Bringing all that new equipment online, bringing all those new employees online. So trying to streamline that process and get that more efficient and faster. What? That's a that's a really challenging. I'm just thinking of the horror that that. That's that, why I was I'm laughing. I was like, "Oh my word, I've been here." Okay. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> because, like, I'm thinking that one of the biggest features you must get is um, audit control. So you actually get the configurations and just store them in a central place. I mean, Glueware's got this multi-vendor capability to go and get configs and then store them somewhere for you. Yeah, that that actually really helped a lot. Um, one of the use cases I didn't realize when we started using Glueware is going out and, like you said, grabbing all the configs. And then one of the things we were watching is, from an operational standpoint, is I was actually looking at what changes are we making on the network. And that kind of helped me drive what pieces do we not need to automate first. And some of the things I found is the, the access list. You know, we were spending a lot of time modifying those. So I'm like, why is that? And you know, I was talking to the service desk manager about these things, too. And finding out, you know, we're getting calls, somebody can't get to a resource, well, the access list in the site doesn't match all the rest of them, for example. <laughs> and, and, so, well, and if you look at that, the troubleshooting yeah. of that, we're spending hours, you know, to, to for a simple, simple problem. Uh, that is the thing, right? And, and it is a simple thing, because you, you want to keep the access lists probably the same across as many of your sites as possible, if not all of them. 
so that anybody gets the same experience anywhere else, and also because you want a consistent security policy. So that's a security thing as much as anything else, keeping the ACLs, well, I guess you're talking about internet routers or something like that. Uh, we did internal ones too. So yeah, mm, access mm. the data center and internet, you know, both both of those. So that configuration part's really, like, that's a basic feature, but it is actually something that's hugely valuable across multi-vendors because if you're buying all these other companies, all the configurations are different. Like, and, and the vendors have different configurations, different tools, and even within a vendor, you've got dozens of product families with different ways of going about it. Yeah, and that's some of the other challenges we face too is a, a perfect example is that is the operating systems all over the board. So like you said, when you go to automate that stuff, it's difficult when you have multiple you know, versions of switches, routers, firewalls. So mm-hmm. Lua has also helped us in that regard is working on getting those operating systems on the same version. Uh, okay, so you've uh, maybe filled in one of the blanks I had. Some of this stuff you could do with like an open source tool, but you picked Glueware specifically as your automation uh, platform. Did, what what were the pieces in Glueware here that's like, okay, this is the thing I want and I'm not going to roll my own or I'm not going to use, you know, six other commercial solutions that maybe do, maybe do some of what Glueware does? Really the selection process, like you said, you know, first thing we looked at is roll your own uh, that basically went off the table right away to resource intensive. We have a small staff, not really looking to grow that, looking to become more efficient, you know, maintaining the life cycle of all those products and, and trying to manage that. Just had no appetite for that. So the other solutions, and then we started looking at some of the third parties, you know, what can they do for us? How do they handle these things? Um, you know, big things for us is I need, like I said, that operating system is a huge one to start with is, I need to build to get that upgraded and all these sites are remote. So if we mess it up, they're down and then I have to have a truck roll and it's going to take quite a while. So that was a huge piece. How You're saying you don't like excitement work. in your life? That, that's what I'm hearing. I don't like excitement. I'll just add in that, you know, there's un, those unintended consequences when you're, when you're building your own is like, it's, it's way more time than you really expect. Right. Like when you try to grab kind of, pieces of open source and, and kind of try to stitch it together or script it or make playbooks. It's a tremendous amount of effort and energy to create those, test those, to verify those. And then, and then you realize you need another piece. And I think like what, what you guys were touching on is, you know, config backup, con, uh, automated, automating system upgrade, config management. I mean, these are all pieces of the automation puzzle. And if you're, if you're trying to stitch it together yourself, it can be a real nightmare. I think the challenge here is that the configuration backup and collection is actually a fairly straightforward thing, but it's full of details. Every operating system, every reversion, it's actually something you want to pay someone else to do, to my mind, because it's not very valuable work for me to do. I would rather spend my development time, if I'm going to become a programmer, I want to do something that's actually making the system useful, not, you know, teaching, getting another Ansible template and working out how to make it log into this device with that version of the operating system and then testing it and making sure. And then every time the, you know, you do an upgrade, you have to redo the, you know, there's all this stuff. I don't want to keep reinventing that wheel. Is that something that you found, Jamie? So perfect example of that. We just actually deployed a new switch platform, Cisco 9200. They changed the install process on it now. And then the, the funny thing about that is Cisco didn't even follow their own install process. So the first batch we got, Cinebees followed the pro, the old, like a bin file, the bundled bundled install, and they were shipping them that way. 
and said that's not supported on that platform. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's a perfect example. If I had to do Ansible or something, then I would have to handle, okay, I've got, you know, revision one here ships this way and all the, all the other ones we get revision two does this. And it was fantastic to build a call up gluer and say, Hey, I've got a problem. Help me fix this. (laughs) And I think that we're, you know, we're touching on that, that, that network complexity, when you have lots of different operating systems or different platforms, and even if you're kind of primarily one vendor or even limited vendors, the vendors have so much, so many variables in different platforms and dealing with that in automation is challenging, right? Especially if you're trying to script it yourself. We talked about config. uh, We've talked about configuration and this kind of stuff. And some people in the audience are going, man, there's a bunch of tools that do that. But I I think uh, another thing, Jamie, to raise here, it's not just about that and maintaining like, uh, you know, an access list that's compliant, but you can also push out chunks of code that accomplish something. Like I know you guys had a, a QoS project and people that know me know I get all excited about QoS and I'm one of the few, but uh, but let me have my joy for a moment with QoS. Tell us a bit about how you use Glueware for that. What, what, what did it actually look like as you were delivering QoS to the network? Well, and, and I think that's, you're exactly right there, Ethan. Some of the nice things about Glueware that I found that were really helpful is there's a difference between putting the exact same thing on every box. But one of the issues I found is we have a lot of different types of connectivity coming in on a lot of different types of interfaces. Some of these were serial, some were multi-link, and we still have those T1s. Um, some are Ethernet. You know, they're on different different numbered interfaces on depending on which platform of device we have. Trying to handle those things through, you know, just a, well, I'm gonna say Notepad for example, if you're taking just a simple old school automation tool that's impossible it's really hard to do that you have to go you know design it for each device with with glueware i was able to actually take and capture you know one of those pieces we use in the audit tool i was able to go find out here's all the interface types we have and then i was able to go model those all into one model and say hey push this out and then depending on the platform it's going to you know put my specific qs commands on the, the correct interfaces for me yeah. So just curious, if you've got different platforms then and you're delivering uh, QoS, depending on what that interface is, the QoS commands might look a little different. So were you building models with QoS commands for each interface, that sort of thing? or Most of those cases, our platforms, uh, the, the nice thing about that, at least our routers all follow the same. And, and that's part of getting the operating system once they're, they were pretty close. The, we lucked out on that. So if you do have really different platforms, you might have to make a couple different models for you know, some variations there. It can handle some of those um, programming pieces in there. Because one of the nice things is too, is the, uh, another example of that is the internet speed at all these sites are probably have, I don't remember now, 40 different circuit speeds that mm-hmm. are possible. So we were able to actually go in there and tie those circuit speeds to specific nodes. And so the nice feature about that then is now I can say that, you know, this site has, you know, 20 megs of upload or 30 megs. The MPLS at that side is 10. This one's 20. This one has T1s and call that out and then programmatically pull that data into the model at the time it pushes out to each one of those platforms. Oh man, that is, that's kind of a big deal. I've been in this scenario because your QoS formula changes sometimes a little bit, sometimes a lot, depending on the interface types, depending on how much bandwidth you have available to you. So if you can automate all of that by investing up front to, like you were describing, to build out those models and the programmatic logic, then that's awesome. If you have another 
router that comes up with another scenario, you might need to tweak something a little bit, and now that one's taken care of, and you can just count on it all being kept in compliance and uh, and working properly, which is critical, because as soon as your QoS policy starts to get skewed incorrectly, then you're not enforcing packet delivery the way you mean to for your policy to work if you start getting it wrong. Oh, that was a perfect example of what happened is we ended up uh, spun this thing up, and we were... Um, pushing out this config and then we went and audited afterwards to see where we're at and we found that 20% of our sites were uncompliant. Hmm. So they weren't getting actual QS, you know, no working QS on 20% of our sites. <laughs> uh, okay. So there must so. be it, there must also be a security angle to this as well, right? You must I alluded to it uh slightly a while back, but knowing that You've got the configuration stored away in case something happens, like a device gets stolen or whatever, and you have to replace it. But also from a security posture, knowing that you've got some consistent configuration, you know, it may not be awesome, but at least it's consistent in the different sites to some extent. Oh, yeah, that that's helped immensely. Because like you said, I can feel more comfortable that every site has the same configuration. Um, you know, like I was talking about before, one of those access list problems we had was it was actually they'd spun up a new certificate server in the data center. Well, some of our sites weren't able to reach that, so people's computers weren't getting the proper certificates, so they couldn't access secure content. They couldn't get on Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. You know, and the help desk is scratching their head because they don't understand why. Yeah, it doesn't come up as a can't reach. It just says can't reach CA server. Well, maybe it doesn't even do that. It just does something. Just doesn't work. It takes exactly. a long time to drill into that problem, and then you've got to solve it for every site. So it's not like an alert message where you can go, oh, we've seen that before. We know what we need to do. And I think what we're touching on here is the historical problem of automation is, you know, as Jamie mentioned, you know, people consider like notepad and copy paste like automation tools, right? I mean, that's <laughs> and even right. a, a lot of the legacy tools we were talking about just copying configs off running routers and storing them. And I think a lot of the old approaches treated, you know, treated uh, configuration as just a block of text. It's low-level CLI, so I'm just going to treat it as text. I think if you begin to treat it as code and have variables and conditionals, and you can layer in abstractions like abstracting the port uh, configuration or abstracting things that are variable for the speed, you can then generate the required CLI kind of at provisioning time or runtime to have the proper configuration for each device. So it's, you know, you need a more, <clears throat> a more intelligent approach to the automation to yeah, deal with right. those variables underneath. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, not it, like yeah. you can just create a spreadsheet and get the same piece of config and then just paste it into every box. What you actually have to do is translate it. One of the things that Glueware does is translates the configuration for the destination target, and it also knows the reverse procedure. So, you know, different vendors have different ways of approaching access lists. And when you apply an access list is one thing, but undoing the access list is quite often a whole other thing. Yeah. And yeah. Glueware tracks all of that. And that's something I don't want to overlook is that, you know, the key critical step Jamie took was to do pretty extensive audits on the network to say, what, you know, what do I have? You got to, before you go and kind of write, right, or do the automation of pushing configuration, you got to really get your plan together. And so if you have kind of a desired state or you want to understand exactly what's happening in your network, being able to audit existing configurations, audit your, you know, uh, inventory and really come up with a game plan and have models 
you know, you preconceive the models to approach, you know, all the, those different variables, and then you're able to do it at scale. And I think that's, uh, you know, a testament to Jamie. And, you know, he's one of these users that took the product and really just consumed it and was doing inventory and audit and automating, you know, simpler things like globals, and then jumping into the more complex things like QoS, which are, you know, if you break down Cisco QoS, you know, your class maps and port maps and interfaces and ACLs. I mean, there's a lot of config constructs that make up that feature. So, you know, again, excellent job by Jamie in terms of leveraging the product and accomplishing, you know, significant automation. Oh, he's blushing. I can hear it over the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) See, there's also a thing here. You're not just talking about automation. You're not pulling the lever and watching the rails change from A to B. You're actually orchestrating multiple steps here. So you could be, you know, say, updating a security policy and then all of a sudden it pushes out to 200 devices. That's pretty straightforward. That's just automation. But orchestration is actually saying, in order to do this, I also need to change firewalls. I need to change IPS rules. I need to update the configuration database. I need to kick off an audit to make sure the configurations are checked. And maybe these are all things that you can do with Glueware. You can actually do far more than just configs. I don't think I want to sort of, it's not just limited to sort of configuration stuff. No, and, and like Mike said, that really helped a lot uh, using the tool in that regards of where am I at? And then where do I want to be? And like you said, using that to figure out what that what that path was going to look like. And another thing I think you said, Greg, that this uh you know, spot on was it's able to actually go understand an access list because a lot of the tools I looked at, they're not smart enough to figure out that this line shouldn't exist on a device. They won't remove it. They're more of a, you just add, all you can do is add. The good thing about Glueware is I set a, I set a model and say, I want, here's what I want. And this is it. It will go remove the, the junk. And that's a perfect example of those security issues because a lot of problems uh, it's easy to put stuff in. It's really hard to remove it out. And, and I'll just add in that, you know, that really the, I think we all are guilty of it in network operations. I was at network engineering operations. You're, you're always able to add commands because you're trying to add changes, but rarely do you go and do the cleanup. Rarely do you go and analyze each line and say, is that still needed? So you have this config bloat, you have those unnecessary lines. And if, if you're able to kind of break down a configuration and look at, you know, SNMP and AAA and and, and and NTP and every other protocol configured mm. and look at each piece and say, what is really needed, what is not needed anymore? Mm. And in automated in a declarative way where you remove the things that are out of policy, where you're kind of always cleaning, right? I think that's that gives you that advantage to stay in policy and, and remove that bloat. It's advantage. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, removing that bloat. The reason that bloat happens isn't even neglect so often as crap. I don't want to type no, whatever that command is, negate that thing and take it out. And then the network goes down exactly. and everyone's looking at you. No one the, wants it's to the unknown. That. Like, I don't know who put that in. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. So many, so many of us engineers have inherited a configuration that's got yeah. some history to it. And we don't know every command. Uh, and, and just if, if you don't have the confidence to be able to go through that config and identify it, then you want a system that can programmatically do it and tell you, look, here's an access list with 458 lines and it's not being used anywhere. You can actually remove the access list. Please make it go away. And 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 all those other dependencies as well. Yeah, one piece on that too is I'll, I can hear the engineer saying, but I have a special site that requires that extra line or, oh, I have an exception over here, right? We we all know those. We have those, you know, unique site types that have extra and, you know, you know these kind of cookie cutter template if you, you think about it that way, 
can't solve every problem. And so you need an automation tool that actually can uh, deal with the accepting or permitting those exceptions and having unique uniqueness for the different site types. And this is something Glueware handles as well. Yeah, we used to maintain internet border routers exactly like that. Um, the border routers did not have uh, the same IP net blocks that they were servicing at each ingress point, but mm -hmm. we kept the ACLs the same anyway. It was just easier for us from an operational perspective to track them that way than trying to, to track two different uh, access lists with two different net blocks. So yeah, it, I, I, I get that. As soon as you said that, that exception that I, I lived through uh, popped immediately to mind. Yeah. So I guess I guess a really good example of this um, this modeling concept, Jamie, is um, you were talking earlier about your SNMP v two to v three migration. Do you want to elaborate there? Yeah, um, some of the pieces that came up is uh, our monitoring solution. Well, we had several things. So first that came up was our monitoring solution. They wanted to add another uh, polling server as we were overloading the, the first one. Mm -hmm. So now I need to go touch all the hardware and. You know, it's just updating the access list, but that's a lot of devices to make sure that that's on and consistent. And then as we can we look at that project, or? yeah, yeah, about okay. uh, eight eight hundred devices we needed to go hmm. touch to to make that happen. Um, then the the second part of that is I got to look in at other. You know, we we brought this up in like a weekly meeting we have, and other people were like, "Well, I would like this to be able to connect all the devices or this one," and it's things that you know in the past it would just uh restores constraint to, to get all those added in there but now with an automation tool we can turn that around so much faster so snmp v2 to v3 migration okay that that can be uh, uh fairly intense chunks of code i <laughs> the v2's like a few lines and v3's like okay stand back it's a big paragraph everybody <laughs> um so yeah certainly and, and then varies by platform too of course and uh, can get really complicated depending on your models what, what other projects have you been working on since we last talked in new york city jamie some of the other big ones we're working on is uh, we use it to help with the majority of our sites currently have an mpls circuit and an internet circuit and one of the pieces is if that mpls went down we didn't have a way to actually connect back to the data center that office essentially cut off from the, the data center network. So with Glue, we we're able to go automate that site-to-site -site tunnel configuration back to the data center, and then also put our routers in a, in a state where they could automatically fail. MPLS goes down, we'll, we'll build this, you know, we have the site-to-site tunnel that'll, that'll come online then and direct all our data back to the data center or as uh, seamless to the end user. They might get a little blip, but you know, really fast. Compared to before, if that was happening, they were calling the help desk and then help desk was getting rid of uh, hold of the operations group, the operations groups and going spinning up a site to site tunnel. You're saying you dynamically leverage Glueware to put in a VPN tunnel in case of a problem, or you just use that to roll out uh, a VPN failover tunnel that was sitting there ready to go in case the, uh, the private MPLS uh, circuit died. In, in this case here, it's, it's ready to go. Yeah, I I did a similar project with DMVPN, but this is for a small site with just about a dozen routers or so, and that was painful. I would not want to roll that out to however many sites that you might have. It was probably bigger than this particular site I was working on. Uh, being able to automate that would be would be lovely. Yeah, we we have about a hundred and I think about one hundred and forty sites that have the the dual circuits. So yeah, that's why I didn't want to do that by hand. Yeah, yeah it uh, reminds me of our, you know, when Glueware got started, we were automating Cisco IWAN. And you know, like you said, Greg, you know, lever or, uh, Ethan leveraging uh, 
Cisco DMVPN tunneling and you got to get your underlay right, your overlay, your cert management. I mean, it's it's and complex HRP, configuration. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, to do it by hand, it's pretty miserable. So certainly uh, you know, that's something you you're gonna want to automate. No, I just like the way you the SNMP V2 could be a model. You said I want this SNMP configuration. And then you say just make it the same for V3. And it goes off and works out all the crypto part, all the variables, and then just goes and pushes it out to all the devices. You didn't have to sit down and write hundreds and hundreds of templates for each device or tens of templates for the devices in your network. Now, like you said, uh, typically on that, we had uh, most of the stuff ends up being we have a switch template, a router template, and a firewall template. Mm-hmm. And then Glueway takes it from there. Yeah, where I think it's, you know, it's an, our interesting approach is more like we're a, kind of a modular template style instead of like I'm seeing automation capabilities in SD-WAN products. And, you know, it's very, it's template per site type and it's very rigid with Glueware, it's a template, but the template can be made up of features that are assigned to multiple templates. For example, you can have one SNMP configuration, which feeds your site, you know, your branch routers or your top of rec switches, or it can feed into multiple, we call them assemblies. And then therefore you get, you kind of, you're not having to copy that same piece of code into each template. You're getting that template sprawl issue, but you still have the uniqueness of your your site type and understanding, you know, kind of a unique set of commands for each unique device. So I think that's, you know, the, the term template is, is everyone knows what it is, but, you know, comes to mind up oh, template sprawl issues. And I think taking a modular approach like we do helps to alleviate some of that. So Jamie, talk to us about the the pandemic from, from your perspective at Terracon. Is that affected your business in some way? Has IT had to react to what's going on? I know you mentioned like people working from home uh, remotely more now, for example. Yeah, it, it changed a lot. The good piece is doing a lot of the construction sites. We probably had 30% of the employees working remote most days. So we did have at least a, a good starting point for remote work. But now that the pandemic hit, we probably, you know, that number's 90%. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a big shift in in dynamic there. One of the things that, you know, I really didn't foresee is the big shift in traffic patterns is now though people you know they're used to working out of the branch we're used to seeing most of that traffic's all staying local that put a lot of strain on the WAN infrastructure from regards now these people are pulling these files from home so so this is this is uh, basically your WAN traffic pattern change so rather than as you said pulling files uh, so application level traffic coming across the WAN infrastructure now it's coming in what via the internet across VPN tunnels Yep. So one of the things we had to respond to on that was we didn't have QS on an internet edge. I'd say it's probably fairly normal, but we needed that. People were putting, uh, one of the first things that happened is you know, shortly after we started working from home, they pushed out uh, a gig software to all the P- all the PCs at once. <laughs> a software update, a Windows update or an app update or something like yeah, that. Yeah, app, app update. Uh, so that was very painful. <laughs> so what were you facing then, just 100%? internet link utilization? Uh, well, in that case, it kind of showed as a weakness in, in that regard. Our VPN solution, the it run up to 100% CPU, basically what happened. We had actually upgraded the internet service because we were. I was afraid that was going to be the, the weakest link to start with. So we had already done that piece and then it ended up, uh, so we ended up having to buy more appliances and, and throw in there. And then the second part of that was utilizing Glueware to put QS on our internet routers to help. If we do hit that, you know, peak 
Hmm. We can make sure the voice quality doesn't suffer and yeah, throttle the app server as it goes outbound or inbound. exactly. So, you yeah, know, 40% of bandwidth or something. Traffic at the edge. Yeah. It's, I mean, right. It's not going to get prior honored by you know the internet service providers, but at least you can control what's leaving your edges first. So uh, you get prioritization that way and reduce drops of the voice traffic and such. Exactly. Like I said, the internet provider is not going to cover it, but at least I can try to try to help it uh, get in the right direction. Put those voice packets out first. So okay, so you use Glueware to roll out QoS there. Um, what else did Glueware help you with uh, as you were adjusting to the new traffic patterns? The other thing we played around with too, and we're testing was some of the sites that, that had MPLS. The the problem with that is then most of them are probably about ten megs of bandwidth. Their internet circuits, the the upload speed on those are a lot of times 40, 40 megs on average. So we looked at also, do we actually make that site-to-site tunnel the, the primary path instead of the failover path? Tested that out with a few sites. I have to ask, how did that work out? It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It really sped up like some of the people that had, because um, the problem is the file servers at, the, at those branch sites, and normally that's all local. So now with working from home, uh, users are expecting, you know, normally at the, at the office site, they have a gig connection to the server then. And now in their home, they're looking at that and they're like, some of those big files were taking 15 minutes, you know, 10, 15 minutes to download. And uh, by moving that over to the the internet side, we were able to cut that down to, uh, you know, three or four minutes. So they'd be VPNed into some central location and uh, then it ended up getting backhauled across the, the private WAN for them to pull the file, you're saying? Yep. Yep. Okay, so so flip that remote office to go to headquarters via the internet pipe, and all of a sudden people can pull that file via the the middleman headquarters office more quickly. Yeah, and it was simply a you know bandwidth and uh, and potentially some latency, I suppose. Yep, both of those things came into play, and so um, like you said, the the nice thing in talking about what Mike said before too about that modular of the the QS and those those models and policies. That was really nice on the Internet Edge piece because I actually had all those modules built. So I, I literally was able to use the same building blocks and then you know, change 10% because the, they're different interfaces and you know pieces like that. Or maybe the uh, applies a little bit different. The high-level commands on the interfaces apply differently on those bigger routers at the data center. Do you have out-of-band network for to support all of this? Or is a lot of the signaling in-band when you're making these config changes with Glueware? So that's one of the things we've been working on too. Is we have uh, out of band. We're using a a cellular uh, open open gear as the product. The nice thing about that allows us to do. You know, we we're talking about in the in the intro piece there. We do all those acquisitions. Well, now one of the struggles with the pandemic is we can't travel. You know, corporate said no travel for anyone. Well, we've had uh, several sites that were already in the works. They've uh, they've canceled their leases. They're moving into new spaces. We had. You know, about five of these lined up here. Um, so we had basically started testing, and then that priority got pushed way up because now we're not sending anybody. We're having, uh, you know, some hands go out there, cable this stuff up, and, and we need to be able to configure it remotely. Uh, so Glueware, we're actually using that tool to send that out of band modem. It's connected to um, wireless. And now that lets us bring up all the circuits, do all the testing, push. We push the config to the routers, the switches at the site, and do all that stuff 
via that out-of-band device. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, having done a lot of supportive devices that are o- over the horizon, and uh, I'm not like they might have been on the other side of the planet, and I <laughs> make those config changes. Like, okay, I'm about to hit enter. Please be good to me today. And you hit right. enter, and then you yeah. just wait. I want to go to bed. Wait. I want to go home. I want to get some dinner. Yeah. Well, I could say yeah, having that safety net there, that out of band. I mean, glue, with Glueware, you can set your preference where it will attempt to connect over the network. So it'll, um, you know, go over the MPLS network or whatever the preferred network connectivity is, but you'll have a preference to, to try attempt, you know, if you don't have IP connectivity over your primary path, Blueware will use the alternate uh, connection type to get to your device. So in this case, it will, it will fire up that connection through the open gear device and still be able to, you know, perform your configuration management or operating system upgrade and all that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you cut off the limb you're sitting on and networking, that's a scary feeling, right? as you uh, make changes and uh, and even in the site turnups, as uh, Jamie was mentioning, it's uh, really useful when you're turning up sites to get that initial config on, get that proper uh, OS on to start with. So you're starting from you know, a clean slate on the, on the uh, configuration and operating system mm-hmm. side. Yeah, cutting off that limb, you know, <laughs> sometimes you do it just to make yourself feel alive. When you're working for a big corporate <laughs> entity in a cubicle, you die a little inside every day. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get out of the office, right? You're like, I want a road trip to uh, this location. That's right. so, uh... <laughs> oh, oh, clearly that's not uh, that's not desirable. Okay, um, <laughs> so so Jamie, back to you. I mean, it, it, you, you've done a lot here with uh, with Glueware. Um, uh, and, and give, give us some other comments that maybe something you haven't mentioned that uh, has made your life better. As you're talking to a lot of people here that are in the same boat as you. Limited team, not that many people, a lot of sites to manage. You know, and and a, a product like Glueware ends up becoming your 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 right hand man, so to speak. You know, you're that person you can't hire. The headcounts you're never going to have. So so tell us anything else that's coming to mind. Yeah, like you said, that's one of the things we were looking at is exactly right. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to hire more headcount. So how can I become more efficient, you know, especially as we grow sites? I, if I look back, you know, at the history of, of Terracon, typically they're about 10 to 15% growth every year. So we're adding a lot of sites. I look back like six years and we had half as many sites. So as you start to support more and more of those, getting that, uh, the human error is a, is a big piece of that, getting that eliminated out of there. One of the pieces we touched a little bit on that's the, you know, handling those situations, for example, like the the security systems, uh, the vending machine. You know, they they want to install cameras, those little pieces like that. Keeping those access lists, you know, like you were talking about, you you put the same one on all your devices because it's easier. Uh, Gluer actually lets us go at the node level and say, you know, I can define a variable that's here's my security systems for all my sites, and then we just go pre-populate that, and then. You know, programmingly, it takes my configuration and inserts those security systems as if it finds them on those nodes that needs that. We can handle all those little one-off cases, and I can actually put access lists now that are specific to that site. I can put those variations in there. I cover my 90%, and then that last 10% that needs dynamically uh, created can be filled in. One thing just hit me. Whenever you do a project like this, where you're introducing a significant new tool, it's going to change your operational processes. Therefore, the business is impacted. Your IT department is impacted, but then the business is impacted. Did did you go through a, a like a like a buy-in process or meet with business stakeholders or something like that, or was this just like 
an IT budget line item to buy glueware and do some stuff, and they didn't weren't really involved in it. More of that on our side was I was looking to how do, how do we get more efficient. When I started at Tarek and I'm looking at if we're adding five sites every year, and how do I how do I get the human error piece out? So really, it was me looking to go find a product, find a solution to this. You know, how how can I fit Terracon's needs and make us more efficient, and then turning around and selling that to management, saying we need to spend the money on this. So you you were making the case to the business then. Basically, you're saying, hey guys, we're we're growing, we're doing uh, M and A work, and you're asking a lot of us. So if we're not getting people, then you know we need tools to help us. You you kind of made that case. Yeah, that's exactly what we did, Ethan. Because yeah. that's what I was looking at him. This isn't going to help us eliminate headcount, but what it will do is it'll help us build the support as the business grows. And Ethan, I'll, I'll just add in here that, you know, this is a challenge we, we find is, you know, you, t- you talk to the engineers and they're looking for a better way and they want, you know, better capabilities in their, their management plane and their automation, but they need to learn how to communicate it upwards and make that business case. And like, you know, finding that key strategic project to align with that has that management buy-in, that has funding, Sometimes that's the hook to kind of get things going. I think we, we've all seen it in our careers and our organizations is like, you know, there's a better way, but sometimes that inertia of change or uh, the change in spending to move from, a, you know, maybe a legacy product onto new or to, you know, convince that the way we're doing it and working all hours of the weekend and nights is it can't is not sustainable. I think having someone on the team to help build the business case and communicate it upward, communicate it upwards and and get that buy-in is really important. Yeah, yes, very much so. Because when when the business is on your side, when they understand that IT isn't just buying a new toy, oh, no, I don't want to spend yeah. money on that. When they understand the value that IT is going to give back to the business, then rather than being this adversarial budget line item kind of thing, it's more of a partnership between IT and the business. Hey, we're working together to make business service delivery uh, better, more reliable, more efficient, less downtime. Then the business feels like they're part of that decision. And yeah, they're not going to begrudge you the money because you're buying something that they, they don't really understand. And as we all know, sometimes it takes an outage or sometimes it takes a lack of agility to shine the light on the problem. And I think, you know, with with COVID hitting, a lot of IT organizations were under the gun to make changes and work remotely. And, you know, you know, the, the question is coming up, why aren't we automating or why can't we get this done? And I think of, of all the things falling out of this, I think automation has become a much higher priority within a lot of organizations. We're certainly seeing that with a lot of prospects we're talking to right now. Yeah, that that's, yes. Sometimes it's nice to be able to go to the business and say, hey, you know that thing we proposed and you said no? Yeah. Well, if you said right. yes, we wouldn't have had this problem that we're having right now. Yeah. As long as you're not too snarky about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jamie, I got... Yeah, Jamie shared with us before. I mean, he, you know, they don't have to be, like, say, NIST compliant, but Jamie was auditing for NIST security vulnerabilities. And I mean, security is always a sensitive topic around CIO, CTO, uh, you know, as executive management. So, Jamie, maybe you could comment on, you know, auditing for security and looking at what what NIST has put uh, put out. Some of the nice things about that is, like I said, I can go out and actually, if you look at most of the security documents, they're saying, if you run this version and you have this config or don't have this config, you try to do that at scale and go try to figure that out. Because a lot of times that's the difference of having to upgrade a device and not having to upgrade a device, yep. which is a lot of work. So, so if I can now take that and be like, you know, we do have this version of code, 
but we don't have this uh, config on there, so we're not vulnerable, then I can give that back to security and say, we're good, we don't have to do anything. So that's a really a, a lot of time uh, we're not wasting anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other flip side of that, too, is, you know, I guess one of the recent vulnerabilities they had, we have a lot of cable modems. Some of the cable modems, people were, were hacking these things. So we were able to take Glueware and, and write an access list and push it out to all our firewalls. I have about 150 of those firewalls out at those sites and just block connecting to cable modems. We're just able to mitigate it that way. Yeah, I think that's that's huge when you can you can identify something quickly and then get react to it very quickly and get a response rolled out. Maybe it's disabling something from a configuration or augmenting an access list. I think that's really key to be able to react in you know near real time to kind of prevent the the exposure you may have from a hack or a vulnerability. Jamie, we were talking at several points during this conversation about your VPN and private MPLS connection. So you've got this private MPLS network, and then you've got these public internet circuits that you are building site-to-site VPN tunnels for. And my brain started screaming, SD-WAN, surely? Um, Is that something you're looking at to the future? So we've actually started deploying SD-WAN. We were really hot on it before covid we have we have five sites on it right now. The basically multiple things there, travel restrictions. We couldn't get hardware have, have slowed us down. But but yes, we're definitely looking to to move into that direction long term. And what is the role Glueware ends up playing in that SD WAN rollout? What we're doing right now is, and, and Mike said this before, the SD WAN it helps a lot. It's it's moving a lot away from the the CLI pieces. But in that regard there, though, I'm looking to use Glueware to help automate some of those. If you've seen before, a lot of times the um, when you go from CLI to the GUI, there's uh, limitations or you can't make changes as fast to, you know, to scale. All those pieces kind of come into play. Uh, you can't maybe get as detailed. So so that's what we're looking to use Glueware to, to help with speeding up that process of that and, and removing human error again from those devices when you go spin one up you know i do have this where i can go put a lot of the variables in but i don't want to have to go put variables in for every site i want to build it i guess pre-build my config and say hey here's this site has security systems these don't you know build to get those access list all dynamically uh, configured and pushed out to, to devices and then some of the other limitations we found too is in the gui they haven't programmed all the features yet so it might be that i need to run cli to build to get you know, I want feature X. Well, that's only available in CLI. And if I run it in GUI mode, I can't do that. Well, Jim, this has been a great conversation. I, I love talking with people that are actually using products and can talk specifically about the kind of things the product is doing uh, for you. That That's that's a big deal because that, uh, that really brings it home. Uh, so thanks for spending the time with us here today. Uh, Mike, I want to go back to you. Um, you know, Jamie with Terracon and his, you know, he gave his examples. Can you just give me a quick highlight of some of the other verticals that are you know, leveraging Glueware? Maybe some, go ahead and show off for a little bit, Mike. That's what I'm trying to say, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I was saying in the beginning, like we're extremely busy working with companies that are essential during this time. And I mean, what comes to mind first is some of the global pharmaceuticals we work with. They're literally in the headlines every day working on on cures and antibodies and things for COVID. So it's exciting to see that. But under the covers, we're working with them to automate their networks. And I think when you look at, you know, Jamie's experience in, in a you know, mid-sized engineering firm, it's, it's actually pretty similar as you, as you blow up to these, uh, like one, one of the pharmaceuticals we recently worked with, we onboarded the first 5,000 devices 
And we found they had over 300 unique operating system versions, and they had over 50,000 security violations. Well, that only breaks down to like 10 per device. But you, when you really start to kind of look at um, the inventory and assessment and audit, even as you get to the very big ad companies, you would think, you know, have things down to a science. Uh, their, ITs are, their IT organizations are struggling. It's not their core business. However, they're relying on those uh, that core infrastructure to deliver on their innovation, on the production of their uh, drugs, and as well as, you know, we work in the financial space, and these networks are critical to trans uh, transactions. And so a couple things just to highlight, I mean, kind of, let's say, fun things that Blueware has been doing. Um, Jamie mentioned, you know, a, a vendor comes out with a new switch, and, you know, Blueware um, updates our vendor adapter to deal with that, those unique things. We had uh, a pharmaceutical ask us to automate 20-year-old cat OS switches, right? So sometimes, th you know, these things don't get pulled out of the network. Bluewares flexible and able to update vendor adapters or even add adapters for old operating systems and still apply automation. Yeah, I, I, Jamie, I'd love to jump yeah. in here and tell you that you're crazy. <laughs> no, who would run a 20-year-old cat OS with only... <laughs> <laughs> We've all seen that. That's a thing. Yeah, we know that to be true. So, but, but yeah, I mean, I started here, my like, career at IBM. I, I know things don't go away for a very long time in the network. And, and, and again, your point is the way the Glueware product is uh, is designed. You can, as Glueware, if a customer comes to you and say, "Hey, I need to be able to model this kind of device, whether it's something brand new or whether it's something old." Yeah, you can do that. And I know we've had this conversation before, but you can also do it quickly. It's like not a, okay, in a year, we'll have that for you. It's, it's more rapid than that. Yeah. And in days to weeks, we're developing or augmenting vendor adapters, but then we, we put it in the product or deliver it in an update and then the customer is able to automate. So that's kind of the beauty of it for us is we're, um, you know, very reactive or responsive to customers and automating and onboarding new equipment. And then they're off and running on their own. And Jamie mentioned S SDN or SD-WAN and, you know, we're we begin to automate uh, Viptela. We have other customers using Cisco ACI in the data center, so we're beginning to automate Cisco ACI. And this is exciting because, you know, at, you, you think SDN or some software control just brings the automation, and sometimes there's gaps and a lot of manual steps or template sprawl, and having something that can, you know, sit on top and still provide automation. We're automating, you know, certain functions on Cisco ACI directly through the API. And, you know, you even look at, we have a proof of concept right now, uh, expecting to go to production this year, automating EVPN. So it's overlays in the data center, right? It's a v, uh, EVPN, mm -hmm. VXLAN, BGP. And that's a very exciting technology that, again, really requires automation. And we've talked in the past with you guys, the importance of APIs. I think for me, this calendar year has been the year of the API. We've done more API work and API integration than ever in the past. You know, we published an API and, you know, for the first several months that, oh, no one's using it, right? Everyone wants it. No one's using it. Now people are using our published API. We're leveraging that API to integrate with Ansible. We're doing API integration with ITSMs like Remedy and ServiceNow. And uh, I think that's, that's exciting. And it, it enables us when a customer comes to the table with something to integrate with, uh, a recent example is NetBox, and within a day or two, we can we had a proof of concept running where we're synchronizing our device inventory with NetBox, and I think that's for me that's exciting, 
in that, you know, automation is always changing and each customer's mm-hmm. network and the, the set of equipment and the integrations, it's always unique. And I think that's the key to is having flexible capabilities to to interact with those things. And I think the key here is if you're trying to think how Blueware does all those things, well, we didn't talk about it today, but in previous shows that we've done on the on the network, just do a search for Blueware on packetpushes.net, is that Blueware actually has an engine inside it that brings all this together. So it's as able to work for, you know, 20-year-old Catalyst switches, Cat, Cat 5000 switches, as it is for programming a- APIs on ACI or your latest SD-WAN vendor because it uses a modeling system and can drive and can do multiple steps. So I, I alluded earlier to, today we've talked a lot about on-the-ground brownfield automation, making a brownfield network go better. But Glueware does all the things that Michael talked about because it has this um, engine inside it that can suck in all this information, do something with it, and then you say, go and make it do that, and then it does. Now, whether that's API, whether that's CLI, whether that's, you know, whatever, is Glueware's, that's that's the key value about Glueware that you need to be thinking about, though, from my point. Do you agree with that, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. And and you're seeing just like the pent-up demand for it. So I mentioned the financials and in, in pharmaceuticals. We had, we signed up a, a big four tax firm in the middle of the pandemic because they prioritized automation and they got the deal done and they're rolling out. We, we work with hospitals and other folks who are just so caught up in the pandemic that they're not able to take action right now. But they're saying as soon as we have some breathing room, like we're implementing automation. So I think we're we're at a unique time where I think you know IT organizations are really looking at and taking automation seriously and and really trying to compare it against the build your own or scripting approach or trying to get by with the manual or let's say legacy tool set you have. I think people are uh, we're seeing a pretty significant prioritization of automation, which is which is exciting for us. Well, Mike, I, there's a lot of resources on the internet where folks can find out more about Glueware. One that I'll mention, um, if you go to youtube.com slash Packet Pushers Network, that's our YouTube channel. If you look there for Intent 19, that's an event that we did with Glueware uh, last year during 2019. And we had live on stage uh, folks that are using the Glueware product as practitioners uh, and members of the Glueware engineering team and so on, talking about the product in detail so you can dive into even more of these features. Again, uh, youtube.com slash Packet Pushers Network. Uh, Mike, what resources would you direct people to? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to um, you know share our website, glueware.com. There are excellent blogs. We have a guest blogger, Terry Slattery, who's one of the original CCIEs. He he writes some great pieces for us around network automation. We also have a, a good blog on our new 3.7 release, so you can go read about new features and new capabilities that uh, we, we've released in the product. So there's videos, webinars that we regularly do, collaterals and paper uh, papers to download. So I think there's a lot to get going. And um, if I could just jump into, you know, what, you know, if, if I'm going to do one thing now to kind of follow up with Glueware, um, I, I would say you have three options. One is if you're serious about automation, you can uh, take advantage of a the, the pilot to production offer, the free trial that we've we've launched during this time. We, we see customers like Terracon having a lot of success through automation. We want to enable other customers. We're investing uh, more than a $25,000 value to get customers going to prove it works in their organization and in the free 30-day trial. Along with that, I'll just mention we uh, one of the new innovations we had was we, we went live on the Microsoft Azure Marketplace. And so 
it's just one, another way to try to remove barriers to get software deployed in your network. If you're already a Microsoft Azure shop, if you have the ability to procure through MS Azure, uh, you know, you have that available to spin up Glueware and get running very, very quickly. We also offer a test drive. I, I know I like to try things out myself, really kick the tires. And the test drive, you request access, we spin it up for you within 24 hours, and you can run through a bunch of test cases hands-on. If you'd rather just, hey, give me a meeting and show me what you got, I'd like you to answer some questions, you can just go to glueware.com and request a demo. So a lot of ways to engage with the Glueware team. Yes, and all of those will be in the show notes for this show at packetpushers.net. If you go to the heavy networking page, which you can get to right from the front, you'll find this show that we did with Glueware. And all those links are in there because if you didn't remember them all as you're listening, I mean, of course you need a reference and we're, we're there for you. Uh, Mike uh, Haig, thank you very much for being with us today. And uh, also to you, uh, Jamie Hughes from Terracon. And thank you to you that are listening uh, today. Uh, this is a sponsored show by Glueware. We appreciate them coming aboard. We can't do what we do without our sponsors. And uh, hopefully this was educational. You're getting some good value learning about network automation, how that works. If you like information like this, well, go up to packetpushers.net. Lots and lots of shows, many more of our free technical podcasts in the heavy networking series and several of our other series there. We're on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Of course, we're on LinkedIn. Uh, last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>